Hey, welcome to Montucky Skies. I'm Biggs. And I'm Brandon. How you doing, Brandon? Oh, doing all right. Anything exciting going on? Oh, just had the old Labor Day weekend, get out of town, inhale a lot of smoke. I had my brother-in-law shoot himself in the chest this weekend. So That's weird. Yeah. <laughs> it's a long story. Um, I think he's going to be okay, but... He shot himself in the chest. So it's been a weird week. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I don't know how to elaborate on that. We're in Montana. Welcome to Montana, folks. <laughs> this shit happens all the time. Uh, <laughs> hey, any of you people out there, Illuminati, if you're listening, you could go ahead and send us some rain because that would be super. Yeah, that would be super. I was uh, talking earlier about how I don't control the weather. And I was like, I'm not the government. I was like, I'm kidding. The government can't even figure out like anything at all. <laughs> no. There's no way they'd be able to figure out the weather. <laughs> so that's, anyway. why, that's why we need to go higher up on the chain than the government. We need to go full Illuminati here. <laughs> uh, River was telling me that apparently most of the high schoolers believe in the Illuminati at this point and believe that pop stars are in the, in the Illuminati. Like, I thought that that was something we were just making fun of from, like, a couple of crackpots, but apparently this is just totally a thing now. Yeah, it's, like, it was, like, an internet internet meme for quite a while, and so, I mean, high school kids don't know shit, so. <laughs> Remember when we were in high school and we yeah, believed I, every meme that we saw? <laughs> <laughs> we didn't have memes. I know, that's my point. <laughs> We had editorial cartoons. It's about as close we got to a meme. That's right. <laughs> says says the writer of an editorial cartoon. <laughs> you did one editorial cartoon, right? For the high school paper, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was when the, the school was overly full, and then uh, you drew, like, drew a very pregnant building. Was there like people flying out of the windows? Yeah, or like there was like bro- bro- broken glass and like people flying out the windows and yeah, we got room for a few more or something like that. Yeah, I think you said not quite full yet. Yeah, that's <laughs> it. <laughs> I was looking at it a year or two ago. I, I ran into some old nuggets. That was our high school newspaper. I saw that. And uh, yeah, but what was really great about that was Brandon's editorial cartoon totally changed around what everybody thought. And they built a new wing in the high school as soon as we were out. <laughs> So, yeah, I was the impetus for that. We got like the shit end of the stick on that stuff. Like I think about that a lot because I went to Helena Middle School for one year and that one year we had it, they tore up the basketball courts that we always played on and like built, like rebuilt something at, at HMS. Yeah, they added on to the HMS. Yeah, and then our senior year, they were like ripping out a big chunk of the high school because they were building the the current science wing to it. So we were just like on the cutting edge of like being behind everything. <laughs> yeah. To make matters worse, when I got into college, it, it the streak continued. Yeah. Like when I was getting ready to graduate, they were like places I'd normally frequent. They were shutting down so they could add on. To be fair though. Um, and I can't speak for MSU, but I go to Missoula semi regularly and I always like to walk around the campus and it seems like there's always some sort of construction going on on campus. So that's probably just like a year to year thing, right? Yeah. MSU is the same way. I mean, yeah. they're, they've built like four 
big, big building since at least that many since I graduated. Yeah. So it's just, it's a work in progress always, but still we got the shit end of the stick on every level. So. Yeah. It's not like we got to christen a new wing ever. No, I don't even know what that's like. Do they really break a bottle of wine over it? <laughs> like, I don't know. I'm in construction and I don't even get that. <laughs> no, you just crack open a beer because you were going to do that anyway. Yeah, I crack open a beer because I'm on to the next project already. <laughs> no rest for the wicked here. Well, let's get to some nerdy news. So, Warner Brothers apparently wants Leonardo DiCaprio to play the Joker in that Scorsese Joker Origins movie. Have you heard this? Not at all. Yeah, this is this is a funny story to me because, like, it tells a couple of things. The... The love that Martin Scorsese has for Leo. So, okay, let's get into that. <laughs> I think we just discovered why they have Martin Scorsese producing this, right? Because I've been suspecting all along if he's producing this, like I've never seen him talk about a comic book or like show any interest in like comic book movies. So it makes me think that like he was just put there by Warners. They were probably like, look, we put out silent, like, you know, it didn't, or silence or whatever it was like, it didn't do really well. Like, this is your payback to us. This is one for us. So you're going to produce a set. We can try and get Leonardo DiCaprio on board. <laughs> That's what I think it was. Um, do you think there's any way that Leo does this? If they get Scorsese on, I think Leo, he's follows. on, like he's definitely producing it, whether he stays in production on it or not. You know, you yeah. can never tell with movies, but especially DC. Yeah, that's <laughs> a good point. <laughs> well, if he's directing it, he would surely be out because it's really hard to keep a director in a DCU movie. Uh, it was amazing that uh, Zack Snyder held on as long as he did. <laughs> like he got two full movies. That's pretty good. Nobody else has been able to see through production yet. So, was it only two movies? There's Man of Steel and uh, Batman v Superman, Don v Justice. I just like to throw in the extra <laughs> V. <laughs> God, I feel like there was more. I mean, it just feels that way because Batman v Superman was like seven hours long. <laughs> <laughs> and didn't you watch the director's cut at some point? No. Oh, no. I watched okay. it in the theater once with with you and that was the only time i've seen that film yeah, i guess that was suicide squad that you went back and watched the director's yeah. cut right yeah so uh, <laughs> i i don't think he's gonna do this i'm just gonna throw it out there right now like he is he's made no commitments they've made no offer to him or anything so this is just chatter coming out that they're offering leo the role like they're trying to get him on board i don't think he's gonna do it like he's like, how many fun things has Leonardo DiCaprio done? You know, like, he did Django Unchained, but I feel like that was the outlier of his career, but even then it makes sense because it is, even though it's, like, goofy at some things, it is, like, an auteur director who's, like, really recognized, so I could see Leo going for that, you know? But... I like there's nothing else. I can't think of anything that would compare to this, you know, like I'm trying, I'm going through his filmography <sighs> in my head and it's okay. Titanic. No, the beach. No, 
What's uh, eating Grilbert Rake? <laughs> not really. Not really a fun movie. <laughs> Very depressing at parts. There's some funny parts for sure, <laughs> but like kind of a depressing movie, you know? Like that's a lot of his fare, so... I don't know if this is going to happen, but I guess if you put Scorsese as a producer, it's possible. If he's not going like to without Scorsese, there's no way. No, <laughs> I don't think there's any way anyway. But uh, I, I guess they have a puncher's chance with Scorsese. So Scorsese, Scor- Scorsese. I got a possessed microphone stand here. Did you see that? Oh, it's moving. Just uh, tighten it like towards the top. There's a little big right here watch where i'm watch where i'm gripping just stroking it's not a matter of how he grips it (laughs) (laughs) if you hold it just right it'll come to where you need (laughs) wow we've got off the rails here (laughs) this is like montucky skies old so did you hear the uh story that just came out like all across the tabloids today some uh, girl was uh, in Britain, found it like in the pond where supposedly uh, King Arthur threw uh, Excalibur back in the lake, mm-hmm. found a Excalibur sword. I mean... It's not... I mean, obviously, it's yeah. not the same <laughs> it's sword. It's probably costume jeweler. <laughs> <laughs> They're pretty much suspecting it's just an old film prop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's probably less than 30 years old that's still fun though like if somebody was playing a prank they were doing the long con at least <laughs> like i'm gonna throw this in for 30 years and then we're gonna get scuba equipment and pretend like we're looking for well, the it was Loch only Ness in like waist deep water where she found it so oh i mean does it look like it's been in the water for 30 years yeah it was like pretty rusty it's funny because i saw a lot of pictures like this girl like running around with this like six foot broadsword (laughs) that's not safe (laughs) (laughs) yeah no (laughs) at least it wasn't a boy somebody would have gotten a sword through their chest if it's a boy (laughs) and then shot themselves in the chest for good measure (laughs) Uh, um, did you hear about the Simpsons? They fired Alf Clausen, who does all the internal music for the I show. I did hear about that. Yeah, it's it's a kind of a bummer. Um, there's no word as to why they fired him, but it's like it's widely speculated. It's because he had a 35 piece orchestra, which Matt Greening demanded when he started the show, and uh, I think just because of the nature of TV now, you know, nothing has the ratings that it used to. So it's probably harder to justify, you know, having that, that much of a budget for your music, but that's a real bummer. If that's the you case, you know, that was always one of the better parts of the Simpsons is it was definitely well scored and iconic music. Yeah. I mean, you can, you only need like half a measure to know simpson music yeah and it's like um i guess like where i really began appreciating it was um i have the first 11 seasons on dvd like i I would buy them whenever they came out and uh i stopped at some point i don't (laughs) know I, i just because i became a dad and it was hard to like pony up for the box set every time but 
it's uh I, I really started to appreciate it when i would watch all the commentaries because i watch a commentary for each episode like i that was what i did was i watched every episode and then i watched every commentary and all the special features and everything and uh you know they would point out like here if you look at this like the you know the dialogue's not great but like listen to what they do with the music like they really send it home with the music and like you could tell that the showrunners like al Jean, um like really really appreciated the music for that show and it could really set an emotion you know like uh and you need that for a show with like homer because <laughs> he can like show four different emotions in like 15 seconds <laughs> And so if you have the music to score that, it helps like the ballast of the show, you know? Yeah. But they said, I, I heard somewhere that they were keeping it. They're they going to not cut his ties to the show. So to me, that reads that they're probably just keeping all the recorded music. That's what it sounds like. Nobody I, speculated that, but that's what I'm assuming. Th- that's exactly what I assumed is that they were keeping him on so that they could use his music like as far as what's already been recorded and i gotta be honest after 27 seasons like it's a bummer to see him go but like I you got a see lot how of you, could you got okay. a catalog <laughs> built up. you have quite the catalog and like every shift change in an episode has got to be pre-recorded somewhere you just have to hire somebody to like be in charge of like putting all this you know catalog all the sounds and throwing them onto the episode so i kind of get it like you probably have all the music recorded you need for that show for eternity. So, you know, why add, why add more? So I, I kind of get it, but it's still a bummer. Uh, but I read this article that was just like, the show continues on a downward spiral. And like every one of these articles, they always start pointing out that like the show goes downhill by like season five or something. It's like, all right, dude, you're just old. Like, <laughs> because that show has been good for a long time like yes it had peaks and valleys but even the valleys were better than most shows i felt like yeah like i could watch it at any point and just love that show so it, it, i loved it when um uh dana gould was the head writer of the show and there was a thing that always happened in his episodes and I feel like they do it frequently now, but not all the time, but they always did it when Dana Gould ran the show. And so what they would do is the Simpsons would go out to do something like, I don't know, go to a convention or whatever. They would go to do something. And then right before the commercial break, that's where you find out what the episode's really about because it's not about the thing that they were going to do. Yeah. It always like takes that turn and winds up on something else. And I'm pretty sure that was a Dana Gould invention because as soon as he head writes that show, you see that like every episode over and over. It's interesting I don't know the evolution of that show too. Like they used to always do these jokes where they would be like, like they had one part where um, Homer was like, but my dream was to be a, like a driver or something. And he's like, no, your dream was to live under the sea. And you did that a year ago. And then they show him being like singing under the sea, but he's like, or like the crab singing under the sea, but he's like eating all these fish and shrimp. And then he eats the crab (laughs) and they they did that for a few years and it's hard to even remember now because they dropped it cold turkey when like family guys started doing it and just like did it to an insane degree 
And then the Simpsons was just like, they, they went the other way and they were like, well, screw them. We're never doing that again. <laughs> so, like a little spiteful thing. They hate the family guy. They didn't hate all the other cartoons <laughs> that sprung up in the Simpsons wake, but they definitely hate family guy. And I don't think that they're happy that it's still on the air. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I was so shocked when they did that crossover episode because <laughs> I can't imagine like the people in the Simpsons being happy with that. All I can say is like, they must've had so much staff turnover that they were just like, there was enough young blood to be like, no family guy's great. You know? Yeah. I don't, I don't know how that happened, but the end result was pretty interesting. It was an interesting episode. It wasn't one of the better ones. I didn't think, but it was all right. It was better than I thought it would be. Uh, I'm not a Family Guy fan. <laughs> it's, it's been long stated on the show. I was when I was younger. And then at some point when it came back, I watched a couple episodes and I was like, nope. And like, even when I watch the older ones, I'm like, no, I just like, I, for some reason, the humor doesn't hit me right anymore. So I think there was like a time in my youth where it, it sort of hit me better and it just <sighs> doesn't anymore because your sense of humor changes over the years, you know? Yeah. Like shit that I thought was hilarious when I was younger, like farts. I only find moderately funny when I'm older. (laughs) Yeah. Unless they're coming out of me and then I think they're hilarious (laughs) every time. It's when I have to smell somebody else's. I'm like, that was really rude. (laughs) When it's out of me, I'll like bend over in front of somebody and just. (laughs) It's hilarious. That was on my daughter. I'm a horrible person. <laughs> my, my, my parenting is questionable at best. Well, speaking of shit that we enjoyed when we were younger, um, I, saw, I watched all, all of uh, the Defiant ones. Have you heard about this on HBO? It came out last month, but it's new to me, so fuck it. We're going to talk about it. Um, so it it's a documentary that HBO made that follows concurrently Dr. Dre's career and Jimmy Iovine. I think that's how you say his name. Iovine. I think it's Iovine. But um, it's fucking incredible, dude. First off, like Dr. Dre, amazing musician. Like, I mean, just obviously. Like, nobody forgot about Dre. (laughs) And uh, definitely like writing a high since like the whole beats, like starting the whole beats empire and like getting straight out of Compton out and all of that. But, um, Jimmy, I, <laughs> something like that. I didn't know anything about him. And that was incredible watching him because he was a, a record producer, but he started out like pushing a broom in a studio. Okay. And then at some point they like this, this one engineer was having him, like he was like, do, do you want to sit in and like help like engineer this one record? And it turned out it was uh Bruce Springsteen born to run. Oh yeah. Yeah. So he fucking engineered that album and like just watching the ringer that like Bruce Springsteen put him through is really interesting. Cause Bruce Springsteen is like a perfectionist, but it like taught him this really hard work ethic and then he turned around and eventually he wound up producing Tom Petty, Damn the Torpedoes, you know, his best album, like with the Heartbreakers, like incredible album. And at the same time he was doing that, he was dating Stevie Nicks 
and he produced her first solo album. And so like Tom Petty had stopped dragging my heart around, like laying around and he wasn't going to use it. So he convinced Tom Petty to like, let Stevie Nicks use it and then put Tom Petty on the vocal. And so like, like he blew up her, her solo album as well. And then like he went from that to uh U2 and like produce like Joshua tree and shit like that. <laughs> Damn. Yeah. So this dude's like, you might not know his name, but like he was a fucking legend. It's going to get bigger. Okay. So he starts to get depressed when he's like doing U2 and uh, he, he realizes he should be on the business end of it. He doesn't really want to do the producing end anymore. So he goes over and he starts a little record company called Interscope Records <laughs> And like, like I know that rings a bell when you say it, but like when you see all of the people that he produced on Interscope Records, it's fucking incredible, dude. And so that's, so it's a four part documentary. They're all like either just under an hour, a little over an hour. Um, So it's about four hours of doc, but it's, it's fucking compelling. It's like good music all the way through. And they intersect when like, Dr. Dre can't get the chronic put out. Like he has it recorded. He has the entire <laughs> album recorded. And at some point he plays it for Jimmy Iovine and he's like looking at it and he's like, he's like, seriously, like, like nobody wants us. He's like, who produced this? And he's like, I produced it myself. He's like, you produce this yourself. Like he was just like amazed. Cause he didn't know hip hop at all. And so he was just like, I'm going to put it out. And like that started his label. So he started death row records, like on Interscope and with the chronic, like that was this, <laughs> one of his first big things that he did. Then he turned around and he looked at nine inch nails and they had like Trent Reznor had that contract with TVT records. And so he's like, he's looking at all the big record companies are trying to wrestle nine inch nails away from this from TVT records because TVT has no idea what the fuck they're doing. Like all they were doing yeah. at the time was, and they didn't say this in the doc, but I, I know this from other reading, like all they were doing was like compilation albums and stuff. And like them signing nine inch nails was like a lark. Like that wasn't something that they <laughs> normally did. And so they had no idea how to market them or anything. And, and Trent Reznor just fucking hated them. And so he let it be known to everybody. I want out of my contract. And so all these record companies are, are trying to make offers to him to go to their, their company and they'll go like, they'll turn around and um, they'll uh, like do the legal costs and all of that. You know, Jimmy Iovine is like, well, everybody else is doing this tactic. So I'm going to take a different tactic. So he like sets up a phone in his bathroom and he calls every morning in the bathroom for hours. He says like he didn't leave the bathroom for like a year and it was about a year. He just fucking called the, the guy who ran TVT records and just called him and called him and called him. And finally the guy let him out of his contract. <laughs> <laughs> like I think, I think he let, he let Interscope like buy them out instead of going through a lawsuit. And so Trent Reznor's like, so I was expecting to like have this big fight. So he goes like, so I'm sitting in, I'm sitting in there and like, I have the studio kind of dark and I'm trying to like, give the portrait of a really upset artist and like, let him know I'm not anybody to mess with. And he comes up and he goes, all right, so what do you want? And he goes, I want control of my music. I want to put it out when I feel it's ready and I want to produce my own stuff. And he goes, okay, you want anything else? He goes, 
yeah, I want a record label and I want to sign other bands. And he goes, okay, done. Because like Jimmy Iovine at this point figured out, he said like he knew he was a good producer and he had the ear, but he didn't want to produce anymore. But he knew, he figured that his strength, and he was learning the business side, so he figured his strength would be to find really good producers and then kind of wrangle them to like make great music. So the first two people he does that with is Dr. Dre and Trent Reznor. Like fucking smart, <laughs> right? This is like the 90s he does that. He also like produced Rico Suave. That was like the first record that he put out under, under uh, Interscope. And so it was like, and they also mostly put out on CDs. So they were saving tons of costs because a lot of people were doing cassettes too. And they were mostly like, no, screw the cassettes. We're just going to mostly put it out on CD. So that like on the business side helped him out. But I mean, that led to like Marilyn Manson, like everybody in Death Row. So you're talking like Snoop Dogg. You're talking, uh, you know, Tupac, like all of these yeah. people are fucking all under this. Like when you start looking at the fucking all the people that are rolling around on Interscope, it's like, oh, my God, dude, like he ruled the 90s. Like and he was scorned by a lot of like the white bread people because they were just like, oh, look, they're putting out all this violent stuff. And, all you know, like think about it, like Marilyn Manson, <laughs> Trent Reznor, Dr. Dre, like all the stuff that was going with the chronic, like. Tupac and all that like so much controversy on his label but like he was smart enough to know like these are all good musicians and this is where music is at and so it's it it's like a really awesome documentary like the first two episodes I'd say are like really inspiring and then like you sort of see the shit curling at the edges in the third one that's when like the east coast west coast thing kind of boils over and then the fourth episode is like a lot of it is um Dre like starting aftermath and signing Eminem and all of that and like Jimmy Iovine looking at the way that all of the like file sharing is going on. And he said, I don't want to be the last person to sell a CD. Like our market's gonna bust. And so he just got out. And like he got out at the perfect time too. And he went and worked for Apple. <laughs> and so uh he started beats with Dre and like they started doing headphones and speakers and everything. And then they fucking sold it for $3.2 billion to Apple. So crazy. <laughs> yeah, dude, this like both of them, it, it was just like really inspiring, like watching them and just, they had this mutual respect for each other and everything. Like I, it was a really good documentary, but it was uh, also scored by Atticus Ross, who always works with Trent Reznor on all those soundtracks for movies. So the nice. music is just fucking tight all the way through it because they're like picking great songs anyway that involves the people that they're talking about. But then also just the stuff that they score it with is really cool, too. It's it's amazing, dude. I definitely, definitely check out the Defiant ones on HBO. Like it's it's a really great set of documentaries. So. Uh, we're kind of in the age of the documentary now, right? Yeah, I seen uh, Ken Burns. How uh, was it? The thirteenth is starting a big uh, Vietnam. Vietnam. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I I panicked a little bit when I heard that because I was like, I haven't watched all of the Roosevelts yet. <laughs> like, I'm like a nerdy Ken Burns like fan. So uh, I think the only series I haven't seen to completion yet is the roosevelt's so i've only seen one and a half episodes of that 
and it's good it's just like ken burns it takes a while to like watch him uh those national park documentaries that's his best work i feel like have you seen any of those i haven't seen any of those ones they were on netflix for a while i know they're free on like if you get the pbs app for something like if you can get the pbs app um they're free on that for sure but uh yeah, it's fucking the the scenery is just beautiful that he comes up with and there's just amazing stories tied into all of the parks. So the a lot like it's almost all of it. Not almost all that's not fair to say, but like I would say that the lion's share of um parks that that get attention in that documentary are Yellowstone and uh Sequoia or wait, um Yosemite Yosemite yeah because they were like the first two so there's a lot of history behind those two because Yosemite was the first protected park and then Yellowstone was the first national park and then I think Yosemite was the second national park so um yeah that that's an amazing documentary too so yeah a lot of good sports documentaries too like 30 for 30 really kind of saw where hbo was going with those and just kept the ball rolling and even with bill simmons gone they're still pretty good i gotta say yeah i was watching one should i could i couldn't even tell you what it was about but it was interesting to watch and i always catch the 30 of 30 it's like on the other tv at the sports bar yeah and you can't really get drawn in too much yeah you just kind of see what's happening but you don't know what's because for some reason sports bars haven't clued into tvs having closed captioning i will say that's the nice thing about the espn app also um like I've noticed that because I watch all my TV through streaming, like all my live TV. Right. And so I will just get the ESPN app. And if you pay for ESPN through any other thing, you can get the ESPN app and they have an on-demand thing. Like usually their ESPN feed is more stable than whatever I'm watching through. Like when I was watching through Slang or DirecTV, like it just never fucks up on the ESPN app. So I'll often watch ESPN games on that. Plus, you can get ESPN 3. Like, 1, 2, and 3 are all live. And then all this on-demand stuff. But they'll always have a couple 30 for 30s on there. So, um, I saw something. I went to a restaurant down in Butte over the weekend. And it had this thing. I wish I could remember the name of it. It was, uh, like, X-Listen or something like or along those lines. But they had a little code on the TV and you scan it with your phone, and you could play, like, whatever the TV you're watching, like, through your speakers. Oh, nice. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. Dude. So, like, if... And it was, like, they had, like, 15, 20 TVs, like, around the room, so you could, like... If there was something, like, specific that you wanted to watch, you could, like, go up and scan that TV, and you could listen to that audio. That's awesome. Yeah, it's amazing how technology has moved nowadays. <laughs> like now that we basically most of us carry around a little computer in our pocket all the time. Yeah, I got like a mobile stereo with me all the time. Yeah, yeah, I was thinking about that today too because I'm always listening to Spotify, and uh, yeah, it's like I have a little stereo and like I'm doing my my show notes for the podcast on here and listening to podcasts and like. 
using it as a flashlight and fucking like who would have thought like it's beyond star trek <laughs> like it's beyond star trek like they, they came up with the communicators yeah versus like beep, beep. well sorry that was a hailing signal but you know what i'm saying like they, they press a little thing and they communicate we're so much better than that now like we could do that if we want but why <laughs> like i like having shit way better where it's like all right, now I can play Angry Birds or whatever when I'm bored, you know? Like, do you remember just, like, carrying around a Game Boy when you are a kid? Did you ever have a Game Boy? I don't think I ever did. It's basically like carrying around a fucking brick. Oh, yeah, they were huge. Yeah, like, they were big. Like, they were a little wider than a brick and a little thinner than a brick, but about the weight of a brick. Yeah. And like, it was just like, like the shitty, like green screen. And, uh, just thinking about that and then thinking just a million times better games I could get on the phone, but I don't even give a shit about games on my phone. <laughs> but if I wanted to, I could totally do better than the game boy. You know, it's yeah. just, it's amazing where we've gone with, te- with tech. Sorry. So moving on, uh, were the Planet of the Apes? Fox is apparently putting it up for their campaigning to get it up for Best Picture. They're doing that already uh, before the summer's even. I mean, the summer just got out and they're already campaigning it. So um, that's kind of interesting. Like, it's a really good movie, but I don't know if it's going to be up for Best Picture. But I think because Mad Max got up they're starting to see the opening like hey these movies can kind of get a little bit of credit but it is like a really good movie so you know more power to them but i hope that they're making a case for get out not fox because fox didn't do that it's uh, a 24 but i hope a 24 makes a case for get out because i know that came out in february but Get Out should be up for Best Picture. God, I still haven't watched that movie yet. Yeah, it's been on video for a little bit, too. But since Hastings closed, like the amount of like home movies I watched has gone to practically nothing. Yeah. Yeah, you could probably find it in a red box if you're so inclined, but I'm sure it'll be on like Netflix or Amazon or something soon. So, yeah. HBO. I'm kind of waiting till it comes out on HBO. Yeah, if it hits HBO, I don't know. I don't. I don't know if they ever play A twenty four stuff. So, yeah. yeah, I don't know how their distribution works, but yeah, it's weird that we think about that shit now. <laughs> like, it's weird that I know that HBO is owned by Time Warner now. I didn't know that <laughs> until a while ago. I feel like I knew that, but just didn't like register the implication on that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I always just thought it was like all the big movies go to HBO and then occasionally Showtime would get one, and that's how it was for a while. But that's just not the model anymore. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, yeah. so they're making a push for War of the Planet of the Apes, which I find is kind of interesting that a Planet of the Apes movie is might be up for an Oscar. <laughs> I mean, outside of like special effects and makeup and stuff, but it's good. It deserves it. Like. Dawn of the Planet of the Apes should have been up for a best picture. Like, it was fucking that good. So, way to go, Matt Reeves. That reminds me, um, there's talk that Ben Affleck is now back out as Batman. I, <laughs> I know. I wasn't going to oh, bring man, it up. I just totally, like, I, I know you guys can't hear, see this at home, but I, like, totally eye-rolled, like, hard. <laughs> 
It doesn't seem to be based off anything because I read a couple of things that sourced an article. Uh, it was the one talking about Leonardo DiCaprio doing uh, potentially playing the Joker. So it sounds like pure speculation. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. It says like it's like sources are saying Ben Affleck is out, and that was like literally all that they said. And so it's just like, okay, <laughs> really? <laughs> I don't know about this, but. That's what they're saying. Isn't yeah. it weird that like they have three movies that, that are going to have the Joker and uh, like none of them are Batman movies? Yeah, a little bit. It's kind of bizarre. I guess I guess uh, Jared Leto's pissed off about this whole thing. I think they want Jared Leto out. Like, rightly so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just... It was such a bad portrayal of the Joker. Maybe you could have him fall in another vat of acid, but it like melts away his grill and stuff and his <laughs> tattoos. It comes out as a different actor. <laughs> Jared Leto's all mad. That's not what I've recorded. <laughs> like they, they felt because he's so fucking batshit crazy on the set. They like recorded for like days and days with them and they just threw it all in the garbage can and just used the scene of him jumping in a vat of acid. <laughs> be great <laughs> and just have a total new actor come in and like play him from then on yeah matt damon comes out of the goo like what the fuck <laughs> matt damon <laughs> no that would be an interesting joker not good but interesting yeah i can't really see matt damon as the joker but i don't know matt damon's had a hell of a career hasn't he you know i I really do admire Matt Damon's career. Yeah. Like he's done a lot of sh like a lot of different shit. And he's like one of those few A-list actors that like, I don't think anybody hates Matt Damon. The worst he ever gets is people going Matt Damon, which isn't even his fault. It's just because they did it in like South Park. And the only reason they did that was because the Muppet they had for or Muppet, the, the puppet they had for Matt Damon just looked derpy. <laughs> And so they were just like, they were like, what would he say? Matt Damon. Because that's what it looked like to them. So it wasn't even Matt Damon's fault. <laughs> it's not from any way he acted or any way, anything he did, you know? Yeah. The best part about Matt Damon is the quote feud he's got with Jimmy Kimmel. Yeah. Oh, that shit is hilarious. <laughs> Was, is it still the last thing they had with him when... Uh, <laughs> during the Oscars when he was up for the Marsh or whatever, like Ben Affleck went in to talk to him and he's wearing that big coat and he's talking about how he gained a lot of weight or something. And it turns out he's like hiding Matt Damon <laughs> in a little harness. Like, <laughs> I think that was the latest. Yeah. But it's hard to say. It is funny that like that they've had that back and forth for a while. And I mean, clearly they're fine. Yeah. I mean, like, I don't think that they do this back and forth, this elaborate fucking joke if they're not cool with each other, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can't, like, just plant. You can't not plan that shit, so. Yeah, I heard Jimmy Kimmel say it all just came because he would always say, uh, sorry, we didn't have time for Matt Damon or Matt Damon still in the green room or whatever it is that he always said. But it was just something he said to close off the show because he said it one time for a joke and it kind of got a laugh. So he just kept saying it. And that started the whole thing. <laughs> uh, anyway, 
Um, let's see. I think I had one other bit of news, but I'm trying to remember what it was now. Oh, yeah, I remember. This isn't really news, but it was around the side, so I guess we should talk about it. Uh, Shia LaBeouf will not be in Indiana Jones 5. Woo-hoo. Like Steven, Steven Spielberg made it clear that not only would Shia LaBeouf not be in it, but that character of Mutt would not be in it. So I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, I mean, like I that's I I was to understand that was happening anyway, but I also knew that like Shia LaBeouf, like he kind of talked some shit about the movie after, like when he was supposed to be promoting it, and so you don't fucking cross Steven Spielberg, like he's <laughs> yeah. powerful, <laughs> like. He's very powerful in Hollywood and you don't cross him, you know? Um, even if you make a shitty movie, you just kind of grin and bear it and promote. I will say this, like people will give shit to actors or whatever. Like, I don't think they know how the movies are going to turn out most of the time when they do it, but you gotta, I don't know. Like you gotta promote your shit, even if you're not like totally proud of it. That's part of the job, right? Like, like, if your job, for example, like I'm a dishwasher, right? <laughs> like I can't go up to like customers and be like, oh yeah, our sandwich is shit or something like that because I'm not proud of how I make a sandwich. Like I can't do that. By the way, our food is lovely, so that's not what I'm <laughs> saying. But I mean like that that goes with, with the job. You don't talk shit about your boss when you walk out of it, you know? I guess that does happen in Hollywood sometimes, but that tends to happen with the people who don't work yeah. later. <laughs> like Val Kilmer talked a lot of shit and Val Kilmer doesn't do a whole lot of things anymore. Like he hit his Pete Kilmer and like it all went away. A lot of that was probably Dr. Moreau induced, but <laughs> either that or the Batman movie. Well, no, because Batman Forever was like his peak. That was his peak, dude. That that was a huge hit. However you felt about how he did in it, that was like his peak. Like Batman Forever was huge. It burned up the box office. Like it did really, really well. Remember, like that was Jim Carrey at the height of his powers too. Yeah. Which is hard to imagine now. But I mean, I'm sure you remember, dude, in the 90s, Jim Carrey, there might not have been a bigger actor than Jim Carrey at the time. I mean, not tall, like that was probably like Michael Clark Duncan or something, <laughs> but like he was definitely like the the biggest box office grossing guy, maybe. I don't know. Maybe not, but he was definitely up there. He was the biggest comedic actor in the 90s for sure. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, like that's not, that movie's not looked on kindly now, but <laughs> it's pretty good at the time. Well, they got worse for Batman movies. Oh, yeah. Yeah, dude, way worse. Like, Batman and Robin was oh. worse. How many movies were worse now? I'd say Batman and Robin was worse. Um, Batman Superman, because of the era it came out, is worse. I think if you put them side by side, Batman Superman is probably a better movie. But, like, because the superhero movies are so good today, I can't defend that movie over batman forever does that make sense yeah like how many comic book movies did we have when batman forever was out you know like we had a handful of batman movies a handful of superman movies and a lot of failed things and blade yeah blade did pretty well 
Um, I feel like Blade was after Batman Forever, though. Like, wasn't Blade like 98, somewhere around there? I don't remember the timeline. I feel like we were out of high school when Blade came out. And, like, Batman Forever was definitely when we were in high school. Yeah. Because, like, I remember the soundtrack just fucking playing over. Remember, how many times did you see the video for Kiss by a Rose on the Grave? <laughs> like, how many times did you see that Seal video? Uh, <laughs> it's running through your head right now, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Now that your roses bloom. Although it's funny because I don't uh, associate that song with but Batman anymore. Why Com- is that? Community took over on that for me. What'd they do with it on Community? Uh Jeff Winger, uh, God, I can't remember his the actor's name, and uh, the dean were did like a mall karaoke thing, and it was one of those things like step in front of a green screen and like karaoke, and they record it and give you a, a video cassette of it. Now that you mention that, Ed Helms is in Step Brothers, right? Wasn't he like an asshole? I think so. Brother or something in Step Brothers. Like, doesn't he do that, like, in his car, like, do an acapella version of that with his family? <laughs> in Step, was that Step Brothers he did that in? He did that in some movie I was watching. I love that Ed Helms are just like, he had that little run of success where they were just like, yeah, we're just going to find all these roles for Ed Helms where he gets to sing a little bit because <laughs> he does it in the office all the time. I guess he's like a, he plays a lot of bluegrass too. Like he's got a, a bluegrass band that tours and stuff. So that I did not know. Did his career end? Uh, last thing was I saw was the vacation movie. Yeah, me too, which was good, but I can't think of anything he's been in since. Like that was that like two years ago? At least a year ago. Cause I think we were talking about it last summer on the podcast. Yeah. Hmm. What's up, Ed Helms? Are you okay? I got I got a couple of couches if you need to stay somewhere. If you're be on the podcast. Yeah. And you gotta tell stories about the office. Like that's just gonna happen. <laughs> And vacation. I really I really liked him in vacation. That was really funny. It was such a great yeah. idea. And they continued the tradition of like doing another a different Rust. And, and Rusty. Yeah. Like way to go. So which is the kind of bummer part is if they make another vacation movie, they can't have him in it because he's rusty. <laughs> you know what I mean? It doesn't work. <laughs> Damn, wrote out of your own movie. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. You backed the wrong character. <laughs> you should have played, uh, I don't know, one of Randy's kids or something. Randy Quaid's kids. What was his name in that? Eddie. Eddie, right? Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. <laughs> that still trips me out. We were watching a Kimmy Schmidt today. And uh, I, I just every now and then I think like that girl was in vacation like the original vacation i oh like it just always trips me out because once you see it if you go back and watch Which girl it, um so she's like the waspy one. Oh, the one at college now at columbia 
In the third season? No, that's no. Uh, Kimmy's at, at Columbia. But no, the she married. It's like she's marrying David Cross's character, who's like a son of the Washington Redskins owner. Yeah, Jane Krakowski. So she Is, plays Eddie's daughter. Yeah, in the, the original one, Vacation, and she's in uh, Vegas Vacation because she was the one like up on top. Of, like they go to that like. Uh, billboard warehouse or like i've strip. not seen it again since it came out on and video, she's like, like stripping on top of the the like the cowboy sign oh wow <laughs> yeah i haven't i haven't revisited vegas vacation but um yeah man it just like trips me out when i see her in like little girl form in that movie <laughs> but she's fucking hilarious in it like they, they have her talking to audrey and she's like I know how to French kiss. And Audrey's like, big deal. Everybody knows how to French kiss. And she goes, yeah, but daddy says I'm the best. <laughs> <laughs> and then she also has this part where like, uh, <laughs> the mom goes, will you make some Kool-Aid? And she like puts the powder in like, in a fucking pitcher with some water and puts her arm in it up to oh, her elbow and it stirs. just like grabs it and stirs yeah, it around. Stirs it around with her arm. And Chevy Chase is like, Will you let me stir that now? <laughs> it's so fucking funny. <laughs> I was just uh, reading an interview with uh, Sean William Scott today. He's still alive? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was basically talking like he can't fucking find work for the life of him, basically. Yeah. And he said, you know, it's a part of it is, you know, the film industry has kind of gone away from comedies in a, in a lot of sense. I mean, yeah, no, I mean, they're, I, I they're out fair. there, but like I thought the, about it for a second. That look was me thinking about it and then realizing, yeah, that's true. Like it's gone away from everything, but franchise movies, unless you go to like independent yeah. stuff. So, I mean, he said like when, when he first started working on, I mean, that was back like, the American Pie days. And, yeah. I mean, they were just throwing scripts at him left and right. Oh, dude, he was that guy they were sort of trying to, like, they were trying to make him into an A-lister. They really were. Like, they were throwing him in the leads in a couple of things. Like, once Dude Where's My Car blew up, yeah. Um, they really tried to, like, back that horse. And, uh, yeah, it's just like the industry has changed. Is he in, like, the new Goon movie? Yeah, he's doing. He said that's like one of the few projects he's got going right now. Is yeah, I heard that they're going to gonna make like a, a trilogy of that if the second one does well. So I didn't really read into it because I've never actually watched Goon. It's one of those things I've always meant to watch, but I just never got around to it. I don't despair as the actor at all. Like he was good for yeah. what he did, you know. <laughs> but yeah. it was a very specific comedic thing. Like he was always kind of an obnoxious comedy guy, right? Yeah. Yeah, he was kind of henpecked as it. Not always the asshole though, because in Do Where's My Car, he's just like a dumb stoner, right? Yeah, like he's just like he's oh, but he's always a kind of obnoxious, like comedic guy. Um, yeah, there's there's not a lot for somebody like that. Like you sort of have to be able to like headline a franchise movie now and then happen to be funny on top. Like Chris Hemsworth is a good model, right? Like he. He does the Thor movies, but then he can turn around and he can do Vacation and he can do um, Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters, yeah, because he's actually funny. 
you know, but that's just like secondary to his big muscles. <laughs> uh, it's kind of funny. I like my wife won't ever, she won't ever talk about the guys she thinks are cute, but I'll like throw out accusations about certain people. And my wife will always be like, no. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. Like when you say no like that, hey, Chris I know. Hemsworth is a good looking dude. <laughs> yeah. It's fine. Like I, I, I'm a, uh, I'm secure enough in my my masculinity to not be worried about, you know, like my wife having a crush on Chris Hemsworth, but it's like, it's good to know like where that line is, you know, (laughs) I would almost prefer it if she's into somebody like John Goodman, because then I'm like, Hey, not only do I have a John Goodman esque physique, Mm -hmm. but I'm going to be old someday too. (laughs) And still have the John Goodman esque physique. Yeah. Except for when he was in red state and somehow he was thin. That was weird. <laughs> did did yeah, you forget about that? I think he started like thinning down like, what was it? Coyote Ugly like started the descent. He definitely gained it back though. It's yeah. back. Because if you've seen uh, 10 Cloverfield Lane, he's like classic John Goodman again. <laughs> Have you seen that one yet? I haven't. Oh, dude, it's so good. Like, I didn't know how good of an actor John Goodman was. Like, he's he's funny. Like, you know he's funny and everything, but that dude has acting chops. Like, and he shows it off. Like, he's so fucking unbalanced and crazy in Tank Cloverfield Lane. I just didn't know he had it in him. Well. It's like Walter without that, the humor. That is something that's always been part of his wheelhouse i mean he does have acting chops when they i guess first he did started like Babe ruth right when they st- first started filming uh roseanne they actually changed the part for dan just to bring in john goodman because they needed somebody who had the acting scope to like ground the show and they brought him in just to give that show cred. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I, we were just talking about it the other day, uh, me and Eli, because I don't know, for some reason we were talking about John Goodman. It was just like we were talking about Roseanne. And I was like, yeah, he was really fucking good in Roseanne. And I actually made the observation like everybody was good in Roseanne. Yeah. <laughs> like I there was a time where I wanted to hate it when I was a kid, but when I look back and look at reruns like I fucking laugh when that show's on. Like everybody is good in that show and everybody's well cast in that show too. Yeah, I mean, how many of those character or people that were on that show have actually had like big careers since then? Yeah, I mean, even like somebody like Lori Metcalf who played Roseanne's sister, like she's done a couple of shows and she's actually like a really good actress and there's been a lot of people that Melissa Gilbert had had, or is it Sarah Gilbert or Melissa? Gilbert? Sarah Gilbert. Sarah Gilbert had quite a run, like with TV movies and shit. For well, she a had while. the TV movies, and then she's been on the View for a long time. Yeah, that's right. And then, uh, um, the guy who played her boyfriend isn't he on like Big Bang Theory? Yeah, or he's one of the main characters on that show. Yeah, so it's like that. There's a lot of people like, and he was was also in vacation or the Christmas vacation. He played Rusty. He was Rusty in that. Yeah, (laughs) I don't see Rusties. I only see Anthony Michael Hall and Ed Helms. (laughs) 
It's, I forget that sometimes when I watch that movie too. I always forget that Anthony Michael Hall was like the first Rusty. <sighs> yep. And Juliette Lewis was the third Audrey because she was in Christmas Vacation. Yep. Yeah. Was that her first big role? Does that count as a big role? Probably not, but. I mean, it made a lot of money. <laughs> it still probably makes money. I feel like Audrey becomes like, I, I think in Christmas Vacation, she's the older sister in that one. And it's like, yeah. isn't she the younger sister every other time? <laughs> <laughs> it's like they don't even care, dude. Doesn't really matter. Chevy Chase and, and uh, uh, Beverly D'Angelo just get older and older and their kids just like fluctuate in age. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's probably a good place to cut off, I think. So take it easy. for network the entertainment's ringing through your brain collect them all or trade them with your friends not safe for network real roulette maybe you're a film student i'm picturing you with a beret we had a good life wells drop it's a bit of the gift and the curse that's debatable it'd be nice if they showed a little accountability the alien movie project it's just another clear-cut case of american exceptionalism montucky skies i'm spoiling the shit out of this in three two Bigs on film. We're watching this on Netflix because I'm three beers in and lost the Blu-ray. Listen to all the archives in a row and they form a mega podcast so long that your significant other will be drawing up divorce papers. Not safe for network.